Well, good morning. I'm deeply excited to be starting a new series this morning. In fact, actually, why, why don't we just pray? Lord, I, I pray, come and speak to us. Come and challenge us. Come and shape us. Come and mould us. Would this not be anything I've come up with, anything we've come up with? Would this be you wanting to speak to us and um, call us into and draw us into more of all that you have for us on a journey together as a church. So Lord, we open our hearts, we open our minds to your challenge, your shaping, your encouragement. Lord, come and put a fire upon us. Come and breathe fresh life into us, I pray. We welcome you. Amen. I've called it Repair and prepare and it's reflections from the book of Nehemiah if you haven't read that book I'd encourage you to read it but have you ever heard of the phrase you will have but a backseat driver you know it's so easy to have a view or an opinion of what somebody else should do or what needs doing or it's so easy to find a gripe or a complaint or to be the armchair sports manager you know, to analyse and scrutinise and find and point out the challenges of the world and the challenges of the day. You know, the question though really is who will actually do something about it rather than just um, cast an opinion, rather than just be an observer or a spectator, who will actually do something about it? And that is exactly what Nehemiah did. He saw a problem that distressed him and instead of wallowing in a, in a self-pity and in a grief, he took action. And it was no small task. It was no small vision. He had no small dream. He organised, he managed, he supervised. He also was somebody that faced remarkable opposition. But he confronted injustice and he kept going until the, wall, the walls were built. He was a man of action. And it's been fascinating as I've prayed and sought the Lord on this new series, as I've longed for the Father to reach into our lives and shape us and mould us and challenge us. It's been fascinating to see some of the similarities in our journey as a church and in this time. You know, the book of Ezra, the book before the book of Nehemiah, focused on the rebuilding of the temple. But Nehemiah's heart was broken for rebuilding the walls of the city. The walls of the city surrounded the temple that had recently been rebuilt. And the walls represented power and protection and beauty to the city of Jerusalem. They were also desperately needed to protect the temple um, from attack and to ensure the longevity and the stability of a people to worship God. And so God put the desire to rebuild the walls in Nehemiah's heart and it gave him vision for the work. And our hearts to, to, for this city have been broken, you know, to bring restoration, to seek justice, to physically restore 422, to bring restoration to a community and to repair and prepare as we emerge as a church from the pandemic but not just as a church, but as a church family, as a people group committed to hearing and to responding to the voice of God. People that don't just want to talk about it, but want to do something about it. You know, as a people, we don't want to just read the word of God. We want to live out 
the Word of God. And that's why this series excites me. Today I want to specifically look at what it means to live with having a vision to rebuild. You know, if I could just outline and give a like a bird's eye view to the overall theme of Nehemiah that we could take and we could apply to our lives, it would be that we want to be people that love God and his kingdom. It would be that we want to be people that study and understand the Bible, that we're people that pray, but also that we're people that do everything that we can to advance the gospel and seeking to gather others to do the same. I think that's like the the overall theme that we're going to learn from Nehemiah. You know, I know I've said this many, many times, but we don't want to be people that are just biblically literate. We want to be biblically obedient. It's not enough just to read our Bibles. We need to put it into practice and to live it out. And Nehemiah's strength of character was forged in that way. It was forged through a study of God's word. And we will see that he knew that he could rely on the one true living God to answer his prayers because he knew from his study of the Bible that that is what God had promised to do. And we will see that his boldness grows from studying the Bible and that the blessing fell when the prayers were answered and that caused others to want to be part of what was good and right and I pray and I long that that's the same for us that as we repair and as we prepare that we're going to do exactly that that we're moving into a time of contending we want to fight for all that could be to fight to be the healthiest wholest people that we possibly can but also to fight for the justice and to fight for the prosperity of this city and its people let's just let's just read some I'd encourage you read it in your own time as well but Nehemiah chapter 1 I'm going to pick it up in verse 2 it says this Hanai one of the brothers came to visit me with some other men who had arrived from Judah I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned from the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. You know, here's the the first lesson, if you like, as we repair and prepare. And that the first thing I think we take from it is this. When things aren't good, when the opposition is great, when the enemy seeks to take significant ground, when your marriage seems beyond repair, when your employer is harassing you, when you wake in the night with cold sweats, troubled by your finances, when you have ongoing debilitating health issues, when your worries and your anxieties seem to be taking over your ability to healthily process them, 
when you feel lost and alone and faced with unmet dreams and losses with that are greater than the reserves you have to counteract them whatever whatever it might be and you can add to that list your your own things that you might bring but when nehemiah realizes the things are not going well you know, it says in the passage we just read, it said they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. What does he do? He says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, what do we do? We place ourselves afresh with renewed vigour before the Lord and call out to him and him alone. Because Netflix, the gym, distraction to catch up with a good friend, counselling, medical expertise, all well and good. And I'm in no way trying to say that in any way or any of those wrong. But the first port of call for whatever comes at you and however and whenever it comes. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. The first port of call is we turn to Jesus. And as we form vision for what is ahead, it has to affect us. This has to be personal. If it's personal, it's the thing that will keep us engaged regardless of the setbacks or the knockbacks. It has to be fully formed in us to be fully formed through us because God is going to enlarge our hearts before he enlarges our territory. Let, let me just say that again, not because I want to patronise you, but because I believe it's important that God enlarges our hearts before he enlarges our territory. You know, there are elements of 422 where I would say for me it is personal. I hope that doesn't affect or cloud or colour in an unhealthy way my judgment. Not that I would pursue it at all costs if the Lord said it wasn't right, but it has to be personal. I've seen the damaging effects of child poverty. I have wept hearing and seeing some of the stories of abuse and neglect. That there are parents that have to choose between food for their children and sanitary products. That there are those that have to choose between clothing and heating. That there are those that choose prostitution as a form of income. This has to... It has to move our hearts to be able to move our hands and our feet to respond. We have to care that there are people that don't know Jesus to want to form a community that would allow people to explore Jesus. It has to break our hearts to forming us a desire to act and make sacrifices. And it's going to make sacrifices. It's going to cost us. There will be more sacrifices ahead, but it has to become personal for us to allow us to step into that for it to become a reality. We have to care that COVID has ripped economically and socially through many of us and this city, that it's increased burdens and hardships that many faced in the first place and now face in increased measure because it will be sustainable for us if it's personal, because it will speak to our pain and that will speak to our passion and it will stay in our heart because it's already in our hearts. We're not going to be wobbled or deterred by some of the challenges that we will face as a community. It will stay in our heart because it's already in our heart and it will bleed into our communication and our conversations because it's personal. 
Therefore, it's the conversation that we have at the school gate, at the supermarket, checkout when you pay for your fuel, when you bump into somebody that you don't know that well around the corner. It's the conversation that leaks out because it's in our heart and it can't not come out as we engage with others. Because sharing Jesus and and responding compassionately to some of the most pressing needs of this city is personal because the Lord has laid it on our hearts. Because when we see need and we start to understand it, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. How can we, not not just for this city, but for the church? You know, it pains me when I see pain in you, when I see you burdened and facing hardships. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, when we miss a line and we miss fire with each other, when we fall over each other, when our hurts and our pains collide, of course we want to do something about it to reconcile the wrong, to slam the door on the enemy, to stop him getting a foothold in our lives or in the lives of others because it's personal, because we're for each other and we long for the best for each other. Because it's become personal, because we've sat down and wept. In fact, I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. You know, you look at the book of Nehemiah, look how passionate Nehemiah is for the kingdom of God. He expresses his sorrow emotionally through weeping and mourning. And he intercedes with discipline and diligence, fasting and praying. If we love God, if we love the advance of his kingdom and the overflow of his glory, we will feel deep, deep sorrow with anything that inhibits it or halts it. And we will seek to do something about it. And we will seek to do that with everything within us. And the first port of call will be praying and fasting. And we will seek to stir each other up for love and good works. It was personal for him, and I want to say it should be personal for us. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, This is crucial, that bit. Then I said that we find in the passage it says this, Then I said, Oh Lord, God of heaven. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Whatever you're feeling or you're facing right now, the way we repair and prepare, the way we repair is by falling into Jesus. You know, for you, the fog might have descended over your life or your circumstances over this last year. The lack, the robbing, the relational separation, whatever it is. I just want to say this. Remind yourself of Jesus. As Nehemiah does, he speaks truth and hope to his own soul. And I want to encourage you to do it. Read this passage and speak it over yourself. Let it be a cry and a longing of your heart. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Come come in and step in with the great and awesomeness of God who keeps his covenant for you, 
whose love is unfailing for you, who longs for you to find freedom and fullness in love and in the love of him and as you obey his commands. Why why is it that Nehemiah is so emotionally affected in verse 4? Because he knows his Bible, because he knows his God, because he knows the truth of the covenant. God, if we want to love God, God's kingdom, and the advance of the gospel, if we want to rise into in the strength of character to look a desperate situation like he does full in the face and have the passion and the resolve to do something about it, we've got to fill our minds with the Bible, not fill our minds with the news or the culture or the conversation or the gossip or the trapping or whatever it is of the day, but we fill our minds with the truth of the Bible. You know, part of Nehemiah's Prayer in verse 10, as you go on to read the passage, it says, The people you rescue by your great power and strong hand are your servants. You know, we see in the life and in the book of Nehemiah, we see that he has a deep, deep concern for his people, for the people in that situation. You know, if I care more about when my next barbecue is coming or how Leicester are doing in their pursuit of Champions League places more than I care about the advancing of the gospel is probably because I've spent more time doing both of the former things rather than the latter. And the latter is I need to be reading my Bible, which for clarity, I haven't. But insert the blank into the example that might be for your own life. What is it that is competing for your time, your mind, your energy and your passion? It will be. What is it? What is it in your current life stage, in this season, in your job? What person, what thing, what career goal? You know, what? what is it? Because we've got to realise it. And we've got to take a hold of it and a grip of it. Do I care more about who's going to be in the start in the 11 for the FA Cup final? Or do I care more about who my co-labourers are in sharing the gospel? Let me tell you, it's the latter. I care more about you and how you're doing and what that's going to look like. It needs to be first and foremost and the driving factor for the vision, the passion that has got to come from this and remain on this. It's got to be personal. I've got to feel it. I've got to long for it. I've got to have cried for it and have a deep longing and yearning to see you be all that you could be. And trust me, I do. As we repair and we repair, we have to. We have to hold and carry vision and desire and passion and belief and faith and resolve for the things that we can't see. We long for them as though one day we will see them because that's what faith is. I've got to love I've got to have a love in my heart and a longing to see you know Jesus more fully. I long for you to know and find your place in this family of the church. I long for you to know and see and to live out your God-given, your God-ordained, your God-sustained purpose in this church and therefore in this city. I long for you to carry the advancement of the kingdom of God into this city that will see and bring about social, economic and spiritual change among many, many, many other things. I long for that, but it's got to be birthed in the vision that becomes personal for us. You know, Nehemiah had a vision to do something about the wrong and the injustice and to bring about change to what he saw. Nehemiah was a person of prominence 
and significance. He was a highly placed political official. He was the cupbearer to the king. He was trusted by the king to ensure that he wasn't poisoned. I mean, what, what role becomes higher or greater or more prominent than that? And therefore, Nehemiah would ensure that those who came close to the king were trustworthy and were faithful. Nehemiah has a role in society that you might say he wouldn't give up lightly. And yet his focus and his resolve was the extension of the kingdom of God. He wasn't distracted by the fame or the prestige or the comfortable surroundings with which he might have found himself. What is your vision? What is your focus? What is the resolve that is in your heart, whether it's whether it's covered or it's starting to flourish? What is it? Has it become diluted or distracted by the ebbs and flows of life, by maybe a career path that is starting to dominate or by a family dynamic? Whatever it might be, I want to ask you to consider your direction of travel afresh. Although Nehemiah has this highly respected job in a secure environment in a Persian city in a highly prosperous area, surrounded by magnificent buildings and its spacious gardens, he has not for one minute preoccupied himself with that stuff. He is anxious for the welfare of the returned exiles who come to him and he inquires about the condition of the city where they lived. The initiative was with Nehemiah, not with the visitors. We aren't waiting for people to say to us they need help. We go and we find ways that we can help them. We aren't waiting for the invitation. We proactively step up and step out. And you know, throughout Christian history, a deep, deep love for others has been a stepping stone towards seeing God transform the face of society. You know, disturbed by the prison conditions in England, John Howard and Elizabeth Fry campaigned for reform. The trafficking of the slaves disturbed William Wilberforce and he could not rest until the practice was abolished. During the Industrial Revolution, Lord Shaftesbury worked tirelessly where women and children worked in appalling conditions in factories. Tom Bernardo, George Muller, Charles Spurgeon carried the needs of orphaned children in their hearts and they took steps to provide them with food, with shelter and with security. 18th and 19th century Christians who looked out compassionately on their world and it disturbed their conscience and it led them to action. It wasn't enough just to identify a need, they had to try and meet it and meet it with great haste. You know, much of what will be ahead for us personally and collectively is a step of faith. Knowing the task and the need is greater than human ability or resolve to complete is surely a good thing because it increases our desperation and our dependency on God. With eyes fixed on Jesus, we seek to advance his kingdom, seeking to follow his lead, to serve his city and all that he's called us to do. We've said this before, 
you know, and it'll be the same will be true with this as we prepare and repair, as we uh, rebuild not only the shock wave that the pandemic has sent through the relational connection of the church, but also the physical rebuilding and restoration of 422 and the belief we have that it will serve some of the most pressing needs of the people in this city. But we've said this before, but we see it here with Nehemiah. We can see so clearly that to Nehemiah, it's people that mattered more than things. Honestly, to us as a church, people matter more than anything else. He was naturally troubled, Nehemiah was, by the physical condition of the city. The broken walls meant that they had frightening insecurity, negligible commercial development, serious economic deprivation. You could see so many things in that book. But the depressed people, the burdened people within that city were infinitely more important than its shattered walls. You know, it was the same for the for the for the friends who reported to Nehemiah. They they said this in the passage. It says they said this to me. Things are not going well for those who are returning to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. What came first in that passage? It was the people. It's always the people that come first. And that's why it also has to be personal. Because it's that that leads us to action to do something about the other stuff. It will cause us to want to rise up and fight for injustices that we see. To practically take steps to resolve and to alleviate some of the burdens and the pains that people carry. Because it's the people that we see. And it's our hearts that leak and bleed for them. Because we see something of Jesus and our compassionate response is an overflow from that point. The history of Christian work and witness across centuries in an inspiring, it really is an inspiring record of sacrificial people who don't think primarily about their own well-being, but give first priority, they give top priority to God's will and to the needs of others. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.15 says it kind of like this. He says, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. The vision we have, the journey that we're on will cost us. Let's not try and hide that. It is true. It will cost us. It was to pull Nehemiah from the safety and the comfort of his social and economic standing. It will pull us from many things, including prioritising ourselves as a church so often first. It would be so handy right now to have a church facility that would enable us to have some form of stability and reassurance about how and when we can regather and invest in each other. And yet he's called us first and foremost to lay it all down for the sake of others, to be people who love and serve the last, the lost and the least, to be people whose hearts prioritise others over and above even ourselves, over and above even the needs of the church. And there is a cost to that. This is not about building a church. This is about serving a city and calling it into the fullness of life. The Lord will build the church. After all, it's his. It's not ours. We don't own it. 
We're not the owners or the operators. It's his and we surrender it to him. Jesus is identified not as the head of a corporation, but of a body. He's not the senior partner in a corporation. He's the spouse in a marriage. In other words, the church is his people. We are his people. Missional followers of Jesus see themselves as the church. If we're united in Christ, we are the church. It means that everywhere you or I are, the church is represented. We are the incarnation of Jesus in the world, acting as salt and light, deployed across the spheres of culture. It means that the church doesn't have a mission. It means that the mission has a church because the mission is God's. It's his redemptive addressing of everything that sin has marred across the entire bandwidth of human condition. And we've been created to be the boots on the ground, to be his partners in the overflow and the spread of his mandate. Every community should be better if the church gets the mission right. The condition of the community is a reflection of how well the church is doing at being the people of God. Jeremiah 29 verse 7, this verse is so close to my heart and I therefore I believe for us as a church. It says this, and the work and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. We have to gain a heart and a love and a vision that breaks our hearts because it causes us to call out to God and trust him and actively and practically respond. How are you going to be free and how are you going to free yourself up to be all that he's called you to be? To have a vision for your life for our lives, for your street, for your community, for your workplaces, for your school, for our city. You know, overall, the theme of Nehemiah that we can take and apply, and I mentioned it earlier, it would be this, that those who love God and his kingdom, we're going to be people that study the Bible, that pray and pray and pray and do everything we can to seek the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom and seeking to gather others to do the same. I'm praying vision will birth in you, that you will discover that and live it out with everything within you. I'm praying that you will healthfully repair from the cost and the pain of the last year as we prepare and re-prepare to gather again and to press in together for all that he has for us as his people. I hope and I trust that is helpful to you this morning. Why don't, let's just wait for a moment. Lord, I just pray, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon us. Lord, I pray where you want to speak this morning that you would speak, where you want to stir us, that you would stir us, that our hearts, our minds would be open and willing to respond. Come and break our hearts afresh. If we don't love the city, Lord, cause us to love the city because we want to love the people. Lord, where we've got hurts or wounds or baggage, I pray that you would cause it to be bound up and that we would live freed from that. 
Lord, whether we've lived here a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever it is, that we would choose to love your people and seek to respond to the needs of it. Father, I pray. Some of us are going to need to repair. This last year has been painful and it will have cost you things in ways that you might not even fully realise. I just pray now in the supernatural that you would open yourselves up afresh to the Spirit of God, that it would bring freedom and healing. Start to speak that into your life and your heart. Some of you, I feel like this would have knocked you and wobbled you and your vision has been dampened as a result. It'll have meant so many changes and things that now feel off kilter. I just want to pray that you would go again with vision. That the Lord would stir something in you this morning that would birth in you, that would cultivate in you, that it would find good soil for a seed to grow, that it would be fertile. Spirit of God, come. Lord, take the the message we speak this morning further than human ability. Lord, let it land now where you want it to land. Speak how you want to speak over us, I pray. I, I just have a, have a sense that some of you... Um, it's like you put a wall up or a guard up because... It's like you almost can't let people believe in you because you don't believe in yourself or you've been so pained in ways you've interacted with others, even in church environments, that it's caused you to put a front up and a, like a protective barrier. And it actually causes you sometimes to almost lash out so that you're in control of it. It's like a it's a pain response. I just believe maybe the Lord's trying to soften that this morning and bring that to your attention and it's going to take some working through but this this is a moment of acknowledgement and recognition and almost brokenness of saying lord is here's the thing that's my wound hurt people hurt people i don't want to do that anymore free people free people i want to be part of the freedom process lord come and heal me i i just feel as well um I feel like there's somebody you got like a shaking not not a good one like it's not a spirit thing it's like your your body just it's like a trembling I, I don't know if it's connected I also feel like somebody is like you it's like you're swaying it might be like a confusion but it's almost like a seasickness just there's a there's an instability going on I just want to pray and speak healing over that if that is a physical condition you're facing Lord Set them free this morning and pray the healing power of Jesus upon you. There'll be many other things, circumstantially, relationally, physical healing that you want to seek the Lord on. I, I pray you would and ask others to join you alongside you, someone in your small group. Remember, there's a, there's a healing night coming this week. We'd encourage you to join that. We want to be trained and equipped to step into places of praying for others to be healed but we also want to be healed ourselves it might be one of those two camps we encourage you to join that i leave we leave you now just with some gentle music playing pray that the spirit of god would minister life and truth to you this morning thank you for joining us and yeah have a good week bless you